This podcast is brought to you by Ideate and Execute. Do you want to drive innovation in your organization, futurize your enterprise, ideate massively valuable new products, or execute them to market? Then contact us today at ideateandexecute.com and get started. It's great meeting you, finally. This is, this is awesome. So tell us, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization and what you're passionate about? Awesome. Great meeting you too. Um, I am very passionate about the idea that diversity drives innovation, that when you bring together concepts um, and, and perspectives from different industries, different cultures, different fields, you have a much better chance of breaking new ground. And we live in a world where this has sort of been like basically it's it's never been truer than it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it stems out of like the, the interest in this stems out of a a, a whole range of passions that I had throughout the years. Um, I, I'm interest, I, I grew up interested in fishing and Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> and, and I grew up interested in writing and I grew up interested in, uh, in quantum mechanics. I, w- what really happened when I went to college was that I, I started being able to pull together these different pieces uh, from how I grew up, my different background growing up uh, in a mixed race family in Sweden um and 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 across disciplines and industries and and so all of these passions have kind of played a part in sort of setting me on the journey of who i am today that's fantastic i find that a lot of people who are in innovation have that crazy mixed up background right they've got all these different they they spend time in all these different places and then they eventually end up in the innovation space because i think a lot all of the diversity of experiences ends up making you really really good at that particular thing it's the idea of connecting, right? Of finding uh, unexpected or seemingly, seemingly disparate connections, right? Like, yeah. like once you make the connection, it, it feels kind of, it might feel obvious, but, but it's, it's the ability to actually, to see that, that is not at the moment obvious. And, 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 and I think in order, you become better at doing it if you, you can train yourself on it. Mm-hmm. But one of the core pieces of training yourself on it is to, is to actually have the exposure, is to have the diversity. Yeah, exactly. So exposing exposing yourself to new experiences and to new people, to new things, and sort of like it helps your brain make those connections that yeah, bring out innovation. Right. Very, right. very cool. That's right. Very cool. So I wanted, I wanted to ask you specifically, one of the things I love about the Click Moment, and by the way, I just wanted to, sh- to prove to you that I actually do have the book. It's right here. <laughs> that um, the thing I really loved about it is that, and it goes on, I, have a, I, ha- I do a lot of reading, and I have a small, small bookshelf of books that are I really, really sort of groundbreaking and changing, like mind changing for me. And yours is on that list. And I think the real, real reason awesome. behind it is because it's so, it, I mean, a lot of books sort of try to describe a version of reality, but you actually describe reality. And that's one of the things I really like about it. Is I got I got <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, well, first of all, thank you for saying that. And, um, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a version of reality uh, that not everybody uh, uh, wants to uh, believe is true. Um, yeah. Yep. Uh, but those that have been through it, those that have sort of, particularly when you start gaining experience, uh, you start realizing that that these elements seem to actually play out over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. And I especially like your piece on luck, because if as far as I'm concerned, that's kind of where. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one thing that you read, you read, I mean, I read tons of success literature and they all say, here's my plan. You take this, take these, do these steps. And you, you know, at the end you'll be successful. And it's like, no, you know, you had a lucky break <laughs> at some point. You're just not some going point. to admit it. <laughs> so, you know, or even realize that, you know, so, so um, when I, so my first book was the Medici effect. And, and there was one big piece in that book that I, that I didn't feel like I was ready to tackle yet, which was, uh, the most effect is really about what happens when we connect these disparate uh, concepts and ideas and perspectives. But the question was, how do you know which concepts to combine? I mean, I, we get this question yeah. all the time. And even as I wrote it, to me, it was clear that you can't really know it. Um, I mean, for that requires expertise and it kind of unraveled the whole idea. But I didn't, I didn't take the time to really dig into that particular aspect. So the click moment came at a time when I felt ready. Okay, let's try to tackle this, uh, this notion of that, that success might be more serendipitous, might be more unexpected, 
than we normally uh, imagine or would like to think. And I'll tell you what got me really onto this. But the, 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 and it's a story that I share in the click moment. But once it happened, it clicked for me, basically, that something was going on and I needed to explore more deeply. When I, when I, wrote, the, when I wrote The Meditative Effect, uh, I didn't really have as an intention for it to become a, um, I thought it was going to be huge in the scientific field, frankly. I mean, just yeah. to give you a sense of what my planning was like. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's become a, a, a massive global corporate bestseller. Yeah. Uh, but one of the reasons for that is because it helps organizations to uh, understand why it is the diversity and inclusion is helpful for that organization, but not just from a, it's the right thing to do perspective, because, but from a, how does it drive innovation? How does it drive business performance perspective? So uh, companies would bring me in and to talk about how diversity and inclusion drives innovation. And it would open up a whole sort of new set of opportunities to explore innovation. And then somebody told me one day, hey, your, your, side, your side door strategy has been brilliant. And I had no idea what he was talking about. And I asked him, well, what do you mean? What do you mean by the side door strategy? Well, look, every other uh, thought leader and consultant is coming at the innovation space by, by talking about innovation. Yep. <laughs> and there's tons of competition there. Yep. You're coming at it by talking about diversity and there's not a lot of competition there. And as he said it, I realized, well, okay, he's right. But this wasn't a conscious strategy that I developed. Mm-hmm. This was something that had happened piece by piece through a sequence of events. And it made me really start looking at, well, what is the truth for a whole wide array of companies or individuals and their pathway to success? And it turns out that it is far more unexpected than, um, than we would have guessed. To me, that's very exciting because it means that the world for success is more open than we would like to think. Yeah, yeah. And the only tough part is engineering it though, right? It's like one of the things I, I'm, I'm into is something I call engineered serendipity. Whereas, yes. you know, at some point you can actually figure out how to make the serendipity happen. But really the only thing you can do is, is make it more, uh, more probable. I guess you could say you can't, it's not, it's not a hundred percent sure thing that you can make it happen. Otherwise we'd all be successful. Um, amazing. Everyone would be amazingly successful billionaires. Right. So it's That's gotta right. be that. <laughs> we, we, we'd all be competing with uh, Jeff Bezos for the uh, $500 million yacht he just bought. Right. <laughs> exactly. But, Plus but the yeah. support yacht. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> um... So, so you're absolutely right, right? It is, it is this idea that you're able to uh, influence your probabilities, but you are. So, so, so this may seem like a contradiction. Uh, wouldn't, if you're saying that, you know, randomness and serendipity and, and so on is, is key to success, uh, how can you actually influence that? But you are able to, because you have to ask yourself, for instance, if, you, if all you do is uh, you take one chance in your entire life, that's yeah. it. Well, it's obvious they only really have one shot at being successful. And it also follows that if you take more than one, you start increasing those probabilities. Yeah. Um, but you don't have an unlimited number of chances. So, so here you, what it, really, what it really suggests is that you can, you can start acting in a way in which you can enhance the probability of success. And what are some of those core pieces? Well, the number of, the number of bets that you place on something. I mean, you see this, the, the sort of difference between a venture capitalist and entrepreneur, for instance, an entrepreneur may spend their entire life on, on you know, one bet. And if it's the wrong bet, that's, that, that, that's unfortunate. Um, uh, a venture capitalist spreads out their bets. So on average, they tend to be more, uh, they, they will have more, you know, be involved in more successes. However, the venture capitalist faces another issue, which is that what type of bets are you placing? What type, what, what type of opportunities are you seeking? And you have sort of the opportunities that are logical or, 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 or seems obvious or follows trends. But what actually happens here is that you're, again, are sort of removing your chance of success because lots of people are going to pursue those types of opportunities. So it's not just a matter of the number of bets. It is about where you're placing those bets. And you have to, you have to basically be willing to place bets in areas almost are counter-logical, right? Because if they're logical, it attracts lots of people to place those bets. Yeah. If they're based on deep expertise, it attracts lots of people of expertise to place on those bets. It's, it's, 
those two things are sometimes challenging to uh, to lean in on. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I, do, I agree with you 100 percent because you know especially with a cor a corporate innovation, it's like you know on the one hand they want the disruptive innovation, which brings them the new billion dollar business. But on the other hand, they don't want to stray too far from what they already know, right? They're doing right. really well in this exploit in, in this exploitive space and they're not That's really right. exploring. They're not really exploring at all. And it's like, so I, I have a question for you. I like, how do you convince them to move from mm. the ROI model of innovation to the, uh, you know, what, what, what did you call it? Minimal acceptable risk or something like that? Yeah. Um, uh, it's 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 a concept called affordable loss uh, mm. that I talk about in the book. That was yeah. that's it's not my concept. It was uh, it, it was created by um, uh, a professor, and her name that escapes me. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, affordable loss basically it gets to this notion of how many bets can you place? Because it, instead of thinking about how much are you spending on a particular bet, you, you're asking yourself if if it just didn't work out, am I good? Can I still actually place another bet or another multitude of bets? And it right. goes along with the notion that I ask uh, teams that are innovating. I said, look, if you want to, they, they ask me like, how should I think about risk taking? What's the way of thinking about that? Like, is helpful? Don't tell me that that uh, it's either going to work or it's not going to work. Okay, I said, um, ask yourself the following question: How many times? How many times are you willing to try? Mm -hmm. How many times are you willing to try? One, two, three, four, five. Come up with a number. But that gives you a sense of how you have to spend your time, how, how, how you have to spend your money, your resources, your attention in order to sort of, sort of being able to have enough of those resources to try enough times. Now, <clears throat> uh, this is very counter to how corporations tend to think. They would like to get a return on investment. But because... Oh, yeah. The idea is to bet on something uncertain. Whatever number is presented to you is likely to be way off. Right. So the return on investment sort of track metric is not particularly helpful. Um, but whenever a corporation is looking at an opportunity and it starts getting a little bit sensitive to what that opportunity looks like, uh, return on investment discussions start showing up. Mm -hmm. And I and Usually earlier than they should. <laughs> <laughs> much earlier like i what we've seen in our work and we worked with tons of teams all over the world thousands um over also a long period of time and that is that some of the key pieces key drivers of success are things that perhaps people can sense intuitively but they don't really know how to handle like let's use the catch-all term passion a team that is really, really eager to get something to happen means that they are actually automatically including multiple tries. Like if this didn't work, they'll try this. If that didn't work, they'll try this. And the passion gives them the wherewithal to keep on trying. Uh, I'm not saying passion is the only thing, but it is. it explains with a helpful indicator. But of course, Return on passion is not, it's not something you see very often in a spreadsheet. And um, uh, other, uh, other ways of thinking about it is discomfort. Uh, discomfort means that you're probably doing something that takes you out of the bounds of like, obvious logic. Mm -hmm. uh, or obvious expertise and you're doing something where you're not entirely sure you're not sure which model to run uh, you're not sure which assumptions are true or not true you have to figure that out on your own uh, so those are things that uh, the corporation should look more towards <clears throat> but it's it just it's more challenging to understand how to fit that into a compensation model and organizational structure so doesn't mean it can't be done it's just yeah. it is it is more challenging yeah, no, it's almost impossible to do it at a company that doesn't understand the, the sort of like the end game uh, that comes out of that. You know, you try to say, like, if you're a corporate innovator, you go, like, just give me a bunch of money and I'll make a bunch yeah. of little bets, right? I mean, that's what right, they're looking right. for. That's like, well, if I give you a million dollars, I want a billion dollar business. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> you may get nothing. Well, you may get a hundred little right. bets. <laughs> well, here's, and here's the thing, though, that I will say about... Uh, about this first person that you talked about. Give me a bunch of money, I'll give you like a hundred little bets. Here's the thing that sometimes is lost for that person. 
Uh, and, and so a successful corporate innovator is able to bridge, bridge both of these areas. And that is that once a bet does start proving out, you need to be willing to double down on it. Yeah. And I see sometimes that, you know, uh, one is for, for that type of personality, one perhaps might be more comfortable just saying, hey, everybody, look, I came up with something really interesting. Now you take it and make something great with it. I'm going to move on to the next kind of small little bet that I think is interesting. Yeah, that's typical. Here, that's typical, right? That's that's kind of the setup. And, and it misses a fundamental fact of innovation, which is that when you take this idea and you kind of whipped it into what you think is decent shape and you're not handed off, that idea is still connected to you. <laughs> like yeah. um, uh, nobody has... Like all the nuances of the idea, all the all the implications, all the assumptions, like you're only able to basically get to a fraction of it when you're outlining it in a PowerPoint. Like here's the here's the 20 slides that tell that will tell you everything you need to know about this idea. No, you actually probably may have spent six months on this, and so so what that's actually needed is that is that there has to be at least someone, mm-hmm. preferably more than one person that is able to take this idea and nurture it through. We, we sort of call these teams cycle on, cycle off, but at some point you can, you can remove some folks on the team and bring on some others, but you still need some of those original people. And you see the same dynamic uh, in, in startups. Um, if, if you were to remove a, a founder too early in a startup, that startup can entirely collapse because of it. Mm-hmm. At some point, yeah, sure. The founder may say, like, I want to move on to the next thing. But that interface of taking this idea and handing it over to somebody in corporate, giving it to a business unit where the head of that business unit have already established the annual goals, already yep. know exactly what they need to do. And here comes mm-hmm. this other concept that they have to incorporate. What's going to happen to it? Are they, let's say it becomes a success. Do they get rewarded for it? Let's say it fails. What happens? Probably nothing. Like, because they already have the goals established. So yeah. you, you really need that bridge to make that transition happen. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, it has to be like an internal incubator, right? Where you, where you keep at least an, a number of the passionate folks on that project all the way through to the end. Because I noticed this happened. I was working with Yahoo a long time ago, and it, this is exactly what happened. We had an innovation group, and they generated all sorts of cool stuff. And then when something started to get traction, they would hand it off to some other yeah. internal unit and then it would die immediately. It would because die they were like, it's not, it's not a priority, right? So that's right. Yeah. That's right. So and anyway, yeah. So I want to go back a little bit to what you've talked about, the 10,000 hour rule. And I was like, how did you yeah, sure. how did you figure out how did you figure out that it only worked in those narrow instances? Like where did you how'd you how'd you come up with that concept? Whoa, okay, so let me just so that everybody is aware of what we're talking about here. Um, um, uh, oh, does somebody not right? know about the 10,000 hour rule? <laughs> <laughs> it's just such and, a broad concept. Yeah, it's, a, it's a broad concept. So maybe all the listeners know. Um, uh, and, I, and I use it, in, I basically use it as the, as the one exception to yeah. why serendipity and, and uh, to, to sort of counteract the, the role of serendipity and randomness and unexpected. Because but we do, we do see that in certain areas of life, you can be successful to a very dedicated, focused approach. And effectively, the 10,000 hour rule. Tennis players, golf players, Tiger Woods. I mean, you could just name them. And it's, it's not like they you know, started at 18 and said, I figured something out about golf and I'm not going to be a world champion. Like, it doesn't really work that way. It just requires yeah. so much practice. Now, how did I think of that? This is a great question. I can't remember when that piece clicked into place, but I, but I think it for me, uh, the it, it was it was actually the deep exploration. I think it came from the deep exploration of uh, of of the true foundations of this thesis. When I because because it seemed to me wherever I looked that um, the unexpected that randomness the serendipity played a much much bigger role than we were acknowledging right uh and and when i try to understand why that was much of it came from the social interactions that occur in a world where rules can constantly change in other words what we're about to see is 
uh, increasing amounts of, of unexpected success. Like if we move towards a world that is the faster the world is changing, the more opportunity for unexpected success. And we know this, like who would have predicted um, how Reddit would play a role in GameStop? Mm-hmm, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, but here it goes. And now, now tons of hedge funds are in it and they're looking at tracking and, and keep trying to figure out, you know, what's the next, what's the next meme? What's the next bean stock that's going to go and so on? Oh, Reddit has always been at the vanguard of the internet, man. I mean, yeah, they, they, oh, I, they're, they're pushing it. I'm, I'm, I've, I've been, I've been on this since the, since the very beginning, just to look at how, how it's, how it's dealing with information. But, uh, but what became clear to me is that there's actually certain areas where this doesn't happen. And once I, um, and, and I believe that once I, I, I read about the ten thousand hour rule in Outliers, Black and Gladwell's Outliers. Mm-hmm. I really dug into that, and I realized that those situations really only appear where actually society has chosen to lock the changes. Yeah, we it's just it's decided, and uh, and sports, and particularly particularly, I didn't get into this in great detail in the book, but particularly um, uh, sports that are based upon single individuals. This plays out over and over again. Golf, the rules of golf, like they just barely change. And so you can actually perfect the game of golf. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are other areas outside of sports. Um, playing classical music, violin, yep. chess, chess. Those rules just haven't changed at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and and when they when they do change, you, you start actually seeing um, somewhat different people succeed. So, if there's been a ch- change in rules, it's blitz chess, right? When you're when you're able to play in a much faster cadence, and and it turns out that the people that are really good at that may not be as good as normal chess. So it's a slightly slightly different take, but it's the same concept, which is the world has voluntarily said we will lock the rules in place. Anywhere outside of that, randomness reigns. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe it's because we haven't figured out the rules for life yet. <laughs> it's kind of well, like, if you think about it, it's it's almost like AI. You know, you've heard about these things where AI has played Dota yeah. or one of those other, yeah. you know, online games. And the reason why they do really well in those games is that it's a fixed world, right? It's a small world with a set of rules. And, but when the real world, we have a giant world with many, with like uncountable rules. So it's almost impossible for, uh, that's why I'm not too concerned about AI taking over because our real world is just so messy that it's really tough for, it, for something. Our real like, world is messy, but I will tell you, I will tell you that AI is providing a counteracting force to this in a way that you're sort of suggesting. And what, I, what do I mean by this? What I mean is that um, uh, in in guiding your choices on the internet, it is trying to anticipate, you know, what you would like or mm-hmm. what you want to engage in, and it is, it is doing so. And 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 basically, as it starts doing that, it can set off a self fulfilling cycle. You are interested in this, and so you're narrowing your interests. And and basically, what you're what what we're seeing. I, you asked me about your show, where you are about the future. What is it that's really happening here? Um, we're getting into areas where I'm seeing that uh, the world itself is trying to create rules in which we're behaving by, or in which we're being prompted by. Mm. Um, are we there? No, of course not. Um, we have tons of choices for us all over and 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 tons of uh, uh, inputs and perspectives and ideas and concepts that are being shared all over the world so that's the one that's one force increasing diversity increasing serendipity but there is a counteracting force that is trying to help you and me and everybody else make sense of this mm-hmm. diversity and it does so by effectively filtering out the diversity yeah, it's interesting so, you should mention that because that makes me think that what we're seeing now with, with news feeds and stuff like that, where people are just getting really, really lazy and these AIs are creating these bubbles that people are living in and they're not seeing the diversity. They're not seeing the 
you know, the counter, the, the counter intuitive things that could cause serendipity. So if the more we sort of engineer the feed into people's heads, the less we're going to see any kind of uh, innovation and serendipity happening. You're, you're right. So like extrapolate that, right? So you, people talk about the bubble. Okay. So you create the bubble. Once you created it, in which direction is this bubble likely to go? To shrink or to expand? No, as you, as you create the bubble, this was created for you. The bubble mm -hmm. actually was created for you. Yeah. And what it is trying to do is pinpoint you exactly. Ideally, in the ideal world of, uh, of, of the various algorithms that it's trying to figure out, it's actually trying to create a bubble of one. That's it's right. really trying to, it's, it's re I mean, if you look at the logical, the massive logical extrapolation, it's really trying to say, if, if you could just love yourself and talk to yourself and, and, and create- <laughs> It's and a mirror of yourself. Stuff, it's a mirror, like, like who do you want to spend the most time with? It's yourself. And so, <laughs> uh, and so it's trying to kind of create this um, uh, sort of step by step by step. Um, again, the counteracting forces. We the, ourselves can break out of this. We can become more mindful of it. But yeah, this is the, this is a tug of war that I see uh, playing out. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I see myself playing a role in that tug of war, where, which, is to, which is to expand, to intersect the bubbles, to create connections. Because we've seen that that is what leads to progress. Yeah. Um, we've seen that that is what leads to a better, to better world. And that is, and, and, and the, the trajectory of history, the trajectory of history is, is always traveling in this, in this direction. I mean, the world has gotten, compared today to 100 years ago, to 1,000 years ago, to 10,000 years ago, is more interconnected, it's more diverse, there's more connections happening. Uh, so I believe, big picture, that we're going to keep on going in that trajectory, basically. Yeah, I mean, my, my only concern is that we've got these intermediate players who are looking That's at the right. profit model, and they're keeping people in their little tiny bubble of one because they know they can sell to that person because they know exactly what that person wants, right? Yeah, and we, exactly. we need these organizations to, to open up these bubbles and let other people in. I'll give you an example. So when I was working with Yahoo, we had Yahoo Music. And one of the things Yahoo Music had was you could have a playlist and, you know, it would, it would go in and play music that you liked. But then every now and then we injected a, a, a track else. that yep. was sort of orthogonal to what they liked, right? We thought, well, they yep. might like this, but it's got nothing to do with it, their typical playlist. And they can still skip it, but at least we're exposing them to new stuff. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm sensing that that's kind of not happening. We're not exposing people to new stuff. And I'd love to be able to see that kind of exposure happen more often because, you know, the small, but it's not profitable, right? I mean, is this, is this like a failure, a basic failure of capitalism? Or, I mean, they have to look at it, the higher purpose model of, you know, interconnecting people and interconnecting ideas, interconnecting, you know, complete, yes. completely diverse sources. Well, my belief is that there is, uh, so first of all, uh, um, I believe there's proper models doing that. I mean, mm -hmm. we're involved in the work that we're doing. That is, that is key to that. We're being able to understand how do we connect differences? How do we yeah. connect differences? So um, uh, it's just that our, our, the innovations run, the monetization of those models are still going on. Right. Uh, the models are really driving what we're talking about right now, the, the bubbles and so on, is kind of like advertise-driven models. Yes. Um, and you know what they say, if you don't pay for the product, you're the product. <laughs> if you don't pay for the product, you are the product. Uh, exactly. And um, you, have, you have sort of less... Um, now, what I was going to say is, if you're, if you're not driven by that model, if you're not driven by an advertising uh, sort of base model, it gives you more leeway to think about what success means. So, so you don't, you don't have to think of success as number of minutes to be engaged, like engagement minutes, for instance. And advertising kind of has to think about that. <clears throat> Excuse me, platforms that are driven from advertising have to think about that. But if you don't, then you can start thinking about it a little bit differently. It's not about the number of minutes that somebody is engaging in something per se, uh, because you find other ways of monetizing that. Now, 
what I am saying though is that uh, in both of these examples, it is a recognition that uh, the capitalism is still having this force on it. There might be other models entirely, right? That 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 could be entering, and it's actually are entering the world, which are based on much more purpose-driven, uh, much more mission-driven type of uh, engagement. Mm -hmm. And so I can see what I see counteracting this world of, uh, of, of removing serendipity, of removing diversity, are two other types of models. One is one can capitalize on serendipity, one can capitalize on diversity in some way or another by, by connecting people, by, 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 by connecting differences. Mm -hmm. Or one is just finding ways of doing so in the natural course of things because, because <clears throat> this is how a... This is how a society is choosing to operate. We see this debate playing out right now in our society. Do we do we value diversity or not? I mean, this mm -hmm. is this is a uh, uh, part of it might be driven uh, through our AIs and so on, and it's going towards that is driving us towards not. But the rest is politics, uh, policy, uh, influencing. Um, and so, so there's a there's a battle going on right now across the world, not just in the United States. It's it's everywhere, uh, where where we have to sort of try to reckon with what world do we want to live in. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I always thought that the internet was gonna was going to actually unify mankind because it would be like, you know, you can connect everybody in the world to everybody else in the world. But unfortunately, we have these sort of middlemen who are messing things yes. up for everyone. <laughs> You're, you know, I mean. It's it's a it's actually a um, it's a fascinating uh, idea that the the internet as it's currently structured. So if you think about cities, and you think about how cities are structured, a city itself isn't really a corporate entity. It's mm -hmm. a social entity. It's creating as a social entity, and the city itself isn't really trying to make money off for you and we can quibble about the details of it but that's really what it comes down to it, it it just it just exists so there's been notions of building internets that are more structured like cities right mm -hmm. uh not a platform to make money off of you there are cities where people can congregate and come together and i believe in those type of environments you're finding definitely people wanting diversity i live in well i live in i live in new york uh, this is this is Brooklyn, not where in our in our in our backyard here. Um, and generally speaking, one of the reasons people come here is because of its diversity. They want to ex be exposed. To it. They want to explore. It. They want to seek it out. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I think I think that those are some of the things that the internet, in this next sort of next evolution, is going to have to reckon with. Yeah. Absolutely right. So I want to I want to go back to one of the other things you were mentioning earlier because I think this is something that I, fi I find really difficult. Is that your acceptable loss model, where you're talking about how do you convince corporate innovators or leadership to go with that instead of the ROI model? Is there have you been able to do that successfully, or are you just sure. sort of like lay sure. it out there? I, and... <laughs> I, I believe there's fundamentally I believe there's only really one way, and it's based on a model I have of leadership which is that if you strip away everything we can know about leadership, there seems to be one thing that, that tends to sort of um, uh, drive how people behave. And that is they will do more of what they've seen works and less of what they've seen not work. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so oh yeah, I, I did that and it didn't work. I'll never do that again. Like people will utter this statement many, many times. Oh, so I've heard that so, so many like, times. So many times, right? <laughs> And yep. I've seen that work. That worked really well. Hmm. I'm going to try that again. So super simple sort of heuristic. So what do you need to do? You need to create situations where a person or a team can see how a new behavior leads to a positive outcome. Mm. And then you repeat that. That's, that's effectively what, 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 what will drive a change. I have seen that when I behave differently from what I thought I was going to need to behave, and you're guiding me to do it, perhaps, I am seeing now a positive outcome, maybe a positive business outcome if you talk about corporates. And it's happening quickly enough that I can make the link between the change in my 
behavior and the and the impact and outcome. What we call uh, at Medici, we call this um, we call these sort of behaviors moves. You can make a move. It's an action, well defined, well defined action, and you apply it to an urgent or relevant opportunity or challenge, one that you can hope to see an impact over the next couple of weeks. Boom, now you see the impact, got it. Let's repeat it, let's repeat it again. That change, that genuinely changes behavior. That actually gets somebody to say, I understand. Like if you tell somebody, listen, I think that you should include in your selection criteria of ideas, discomfort. Intellectually, they say, oh, I get it, yeah. But when it comes time to do it, hard to do, even what does, oh, yeah. what does that even mean? Like, what, what does that even mean? Okay, yeah. so now here's a move to help you do it, okay? And now I can see what happened when I did it. Once may not be enough, but two times, three times, and we start actually talking about a real, real, real shift in behavior. Now, what I have to add to that is that it becomes like a fractal thing because if I'm changing my behavior here, but my my manager doesn't even know what I'm doing, right? Let, let's say that we have we have a move called share sooner. Share sooner basically means that whatever at whatever state that you share an idea, 50 pages, PowerPoint, then 40 backup slides, whatever it is that you're doing usually to share this, you need to share it sooner. Yeah. And that's that should always hold true. Mm -hmm. Basically, so wherever you wherever you are as a team, you can share it sooner. Yeah, that works for startups as well. Works for startups <laughs> as well, right? Yeah, but it works. It works in corporate as well. If mm -hmm. your manager is in on it, if your colleagues are in on it, if you say, "I'm doing share sooner," got it. I know what you're doing. I understand what you're doing. I cannot look at this with that lens, because otherwise, I'm going to look at it and go. What's going on with this? I'm gonna. I have like 80 opportunities to poke holes in it. I'm gonna take all 80. So, 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 so you, so, so you have this um, kind of habit model, behavior and outcome, and you're you're creating that cycle, and you need to sort of add some kind of like a fractal view of it. Like basically, uh, it, it, your 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 manager needs to understand how this works as well. That's it. Um, that's it. Yeah. So, so it sounds as if uh, a couple of things I heard from there were, it sounds like you're, you definitely have to go after sort of low hanging fruit, like quick wins, quick successes that map to something that's happening today. But how do you, how do you go beyond that? Like, how do you get yeah. to. Okay. So, so um, once the, if you want to go beyond that, right. So you do the quick successes to illustrate the power of it. Now you can extrapolate. So, because now the basic ideas are there. So I, I give you an example of a conversation I had with CEO. I, 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 I talked about this in, I may have talked about this in the quick more, I'm not sure, but, <clears throat> but I have these type of conversations all the time with the, with the CEOs that I'm working with. Um, they, they are recognizing that the world is changing faster than ever. In fact, I'll just say this, the question I mostly get from CEOs have changed. I used to get the question, how do I create my next killer product? And actually that question changed to how do I create my next killer business model? Today, the mm -hmm. question is more like this. Is the world outside of my organization changing faster than we are? Very different question, <laughs> right? And the answer is basically almost always yes. So what do I do about it? And so here's the, so once that basic understanding is in place, <clears throat> uh, I, I, a conversation goes something like this. And this is a real conversation I'm referring to, but but I've seen so many iterations of this. Um, so we spent a million dollars on something, and it didn't really create great results. So now this person is asking for another million dollars. Should I give it to this person? Okay. Uh, well, may, <laughs> I remember this conversation in particular because the person was also sitting at the table with us. Mm -hmm. so I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, and so the way I thought about this answer was, uh, okay, let's, if, if I say yes, then I have to, then it has to be the caveat because what you did was you gave the person a million dollars asking for one bet. 
what is this person likely to do? Well, making sure that bet is going to work, which means that they're going to bet on predictable. They're going to become much more, much more conservative. And it's going to lead to, it's not going to lead to horrible. He said it, 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 didn't, it wasn't horrible. It just wasn't great. Yeah. Well, it's always the billion dollar business, right? That's what they're it, always looking that, for. That's what we're looking for, right? So, <laughs> so I said, now, this time around, when you give the million, ask for five bets. Two hundred K. It's, it's it, I, it is simple. It sounds so simple. Yeah, but, but it's it's so but, powerful. <laughs> it's so powerful, right? And then I turned to her, this person. I said, "Now here's what I want you to do with each of those two hundred K bets. Turn to your team and say, can you give me two or three bets each of those? Mm. Don't worry the CEO about that. But that's how you should be thinking about it. So." Now you are actually creating proliferations, and 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 these bets don't—they can be in parallel or they can be serial, right? So you can you can imagine that you try something, then you pivot, then you pivot again, or they actually are starting three separate things all at once, right? So so you can you can mix and match those things to some degree. There's, there's other elements that come into it. Right? I have a concept called the distraction limit, which really gets to just how many things can you have going at the same time, and so. A team needs to have an understanding of that. If it's too many, it won't be focusing on anything. But mm -hmm. it should be more than one. Like if your distraction limit is one, then uh, I think that might be uh, problematic. You want to have uh, a couple of things going at the same time that you're exploring and thinking about. But that way, now that made sense to the CEO. And this came on the heels of us having made sure that we're able to show the power of what it means to invite diversity, what it means to invite the unexpected. But it's, a, it, again, it's a simple rule, but never give somebody money and ask for one big thing. Mm -hmm. like, like, unless this person is really well-versed in how innovation works, you should ask for a couple of things from this money. It gives the, this person uh, and this team the ability to, to, to take chances, to stretch themselves, to push the boundaries. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're applying the VC model, right? You're saying like, here's here's a hundred bets instead of just one bet. One of them, one of them will be a billion dollar business, I hope. <laughs> but you're allowing them to do those multiple bets. So I am, yes. But there is there is a distinct difference. I am applying the 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 statistics of the VC model. But in this case, so so from the CEO's perspective, it looks like a VC model. From the people that are executing it, though. Um, uh, it is important to understand uh, that in a corporate context, you have an advantage that you don't have as an, an entrepreneur generally. Um, I, I, many years ago, there was a, uh, I, I saw a, a talk, read an article about um, a designer at, uh, at, at Apple who said that for every new user feature, they created sort of 10 teams, they created 10 separate solutions for this user feature and they would mm. pick one. And, and, I, and, and I recall saying, now what type of person chooses to join a team with a guaranteed 90% failure rate? Guaranteed. Right. It's, it's, it's actually designed into the system. Mm -hmm. There's an innovation and, infrastructure and, for you. <laughs> and, and the answer to that question is the type of person that knows that they will get another bite at the apple. Pun. But, <laughs> <and> I, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> So, so, but you can do it if you know you get another shot. And this here's where a corporation has a huge advantage because if you know that I can try this and then I can try something else and maybe something else again, like I will yep. have, I will have sort of multiple shots on goal. Um, I will be, I will be able to behave differently. And this is uh, this is a this is a a a a, uh, a blessing or an advantage that uh, you know is is not necessarily able you know for, for many entrepreneurs uh, we're talking about multi year bets right like yeah. like if they yeah. if, and that could last many many years could be ten yeah you got to wait you got to wait for them to play out because a lot of times they're also yeah. too oh, too absolutely. impatient to let them play out you're, I you're absolutely right absolutely right.
Awesome. Very cool. Well, I mean, startups can actually do it too, but they just have to be observant to the to the pivot, right? I mean, if you look at Flickr, if you look at Slack, you know, you've got to just say, okay, what's working? Like something, whatever we're, of all the things that we're working on, something here is working, but maybe all yeah. this other stuff isn't. And then you have to pivot to that. So, but it, it, but what, they don't have as many bets to, to, to work well, with because they have. So, so let me say, without a doubt, I think that is true. Um, uh, and so it comes down to the iteration rate. For uh, for a startup, uh, and that's how they can increase. That's how they can increase the number of bets. That's how they can think about the money that they get, etc. It's just that. Um, so here's really what I wanted to say about that. <clears throat> In VC, uh, they don't want middling successful startups. Uh, a VC is going to want the the ten to hundred x. Okay, so so <clears throat> the incentive, their influence, the seal on the board is going to be to say, listen. Uh, go for it because I'm good. I have another 10, 20, 30 companies I'm into. And mm -hmm. if you think you have a shot at this and, and it's like a 30% shot, that math works out for me. Does it work out for the entrepreneur is the question, right? So, right. so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so the incentives are not 100% aligned in, 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 in a context like that. And that's also why I think that's one of the reasons why younger uh, um, uh, people that are that are uh, uh, younger in the startup game, um, uh, like they they are they can be more attracted to that model simply because well what do I have to lose I mean yeah, yeah. so I'm I, I have okay I'm sitting on you know X number of million dollars now but I'm gonna go for the billion oh it all went away okay um, I'm 23 so I'm still good <clears throat> yeah I'll try again you're 40 <laughs> yeah try again you're 45 okay maybe you think differently about it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So now it's so now it's time to think like a futurist. It's the year 2031, 10 years from now. What's the world going to be like? 10 years from now, the world is going to be a tug of war. We talked about this before, but I keep on coming back to this. It's going to be a tug of war of those that are looking to expand our, uh, our worlds, our, our influences, um, of, of our diversity of connections, um, uh, of our of our inspirations and those who are trying to contract it, you're seeing it. You're seeing it. You're seeing the the the, the groundwork for this war playing out right now. Um, uh, the obvious things are are what's happening in the social and, and political realm. The the less obvious things are the things that are happening in the machine machine learning and AI driven realm. But they're both working together on that. <clears throat> Um, and, and 10 years from now, we, that war will not have been settled. I don't believe so. I believe that we're still going to be trying to figure out where this tug of war sits. Long term, I have, <clears throat> long term, I have no doubt that diversity and interconnectedness is going to win out. But, um, yeah, we're in a, we're in a world that, uh, that, um, where, where, where the, some of the biggest, the un, some of the most unexpected things that are playing out for us will be in that social realm. It, it's going to be new technologies as well, of course, and it's going to be you know new new companies will will, will come about, and and I, particularly when it comes to healthcare and uh, and and how we our, our ability to 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 improve our bodies and so on. I think we're going to see a lot of things there, but but. The big picture is this tug of war between diversity uh, and and the opposite of it. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think we need more champions on the interconnectedness side because it seems like we've got a lot of players on on this side, but there's not that many players on this side. Well, they're starting to emerge now, but there's really not yep. that many of them, and they don't have that much power yet. But it's 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 starting to happen. And I think I think I'm, I'm seeing it in a lot of places that sort of there's this undercurrent. Of this battle, but it's not. It just hasn't quite so sort of surfaced yet. You're seeing skirmishes here and there, but it's not That's all right. over the place. So That's right. it's interesting. It's interesting what you said about AI. It's like, do you think in ten years we'll actually have AI? Because you, you heard about the famous, you know, Amazon experiment for hiring. Uh, do you think we're going actually going to have AI that's totally unbiased in ten years? Um, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, um, this is a big topic, so this this serves almost this entire own podcast. Uh, but well, we can always do another the, one. That's fine. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Um, the 
um, the the way we think about AI right now, the way our, our models are, the, the way we approach it, um, is about uh, finding things that work and learning from those. It's, it becomes a self-referential, self-reinforcing model. Mm -hmm. That does not mean that it will always stay that way. And I will say that there are there are uh, companies that are looking at other ways of doing it. Where we are, um, uh, I think it's exciting to see what a company like Elemental Cognition is doing um, uh, on uh, uh, on this basis. But but the vast vast majority of of, of AI today is still just uh, number crunching and looking for patterns in those numbers, and yeah. then trying to like figure out what well how do we how do we recreate how do we do more of. How, what does this tell us about the truth of the world? Where in reality, um, the, 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 the truth of the world itself is, is probably a much more philosophical question, not one that we can just extract through the, 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 the pre-selection of, of, of numbers and data. Yeah, because we're basically looking at trailing indicators. We're looking at the past. Like we're looking at the past and we're trying to predict the future by looking at the past, but the future and the past are completely different realities. So you that, can't you can't even really re really reconnect them. We have to be looking at like how we want things to be, not how things work. Exactly, and and right now AI is really good at oh, well, it's becoming really good at helping us understand the past. But then you get you know Amazon's recruiting model where they're replicating you know the past basically. Uh, the future is innovative and uncertain and unexpected. Um, maybe at some point we will have understand the fundamentals of that so deeply that we can anticipate that through uh, through machines. But, you know, when that is happening, I mean, um, uh, like if you think about the implications of that, it means that a machine could basically extrapolate from now until the end of the universe. It's a lot, it's a big philosophical discussion. More than yeah. we can get into, <laughs> more than we can get into at this point. I know, you but, gotta go. <laughs> but, but, uh, but wonderful, this is a terrific conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been great. So if I want to, if somebody wants to contact you, what's the best way? Uh, yeah, well, uh, we have a uh, website, themeditygroup.com, uh, and I have a LinkedIn, uh, Franz Johansson. Um, and, you know, uh, I'm there. Ping me. And uh, okay. and uh, and me or somebody, uh, you know, connected to me will reach out. All right. Sounds good. I'll put your contact information in the show notes. So thanks a lot. This was fantastic. Love the conversation. Talk Thank to you, you soon. The same. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye.